Hello, I'm Faith Rogers, host of today's program, COVID-19, Keeping Up with a Moving Target. This is the April 2nd episode of DKB Med Radio's Coronavirus Educational Series. Thank you for joining us. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC and AAPA credit, as well as AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Please visit our website for complete CE information. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Today's learning objectives are to describe common vaccine side effects and to describe the accelerated vaccine development process. This educational activity is supported by independent medical educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, and Eli Lilly and Company, as well as in-kind support by DKB Med LLC. All activity content and materials have been developed solely by the activity directors, planning committee members, and faculty presenters. And with us today, we have Dr. Lisa Samen, Professor of Pediatrics at Columbia University Medical Center and Hospital Epidemiologist at New York Presbyterian Hospital. Dr. Seaman is also the Program Director for E-Cystic Fibrosis Review COVID-19 Special Edition. This newsletter and podcast analyzes the current literature investigating if cystic fibrosis increases the chances of more severe disease and if the high degree of adherence to normal cystic fibrosis care is protective. What does the evidence say, and how are these findings affecting clinical practice? Dr. Seaman also speaks directly with frontline clinicians about their experiences maintaining patient care in a disrupted healthcare system. Cystic Fibrosis and COVID-19, the data in the real world, available at eCysticFibrosisReview.org. The second part of Dr. Seaman's presentation on vaccines and vaccine hesitancy will begin now. The next common worry is I'm worried about getting the COVID-19 vaccine because people like me for example, Black people, Latinx people, people with underlying medical conditions, such as diabetes, obesity, chronic lung disease, weren't studied in the clinical trials. But in fact, there was an enormous effort made to um, recruit individuals who did have these comorbidities and who were at risk for severe disease. Um, So for example, in the Pfizer trial, 42% of individuals were older than 55. In the Moderna trial, 25% were 65 and older compared to the U.S. population of about 16%. You can see that large proportion of the um, participants were Black and African American. Nearly 35% had BMIs of 30 or greater. And um, you can see the other distribution of comorbidities. So important to explain to people that um, there was actually a very good representation of um, different kinds of people recruited. Another common worry is I'm worried about getting the COVID-19 vaccine because I had allergies to foods such as eggs and peanuts, medications and bee stings. And we all know that some of those allergies can be very severe, but this is not a contraindication to getting any of the current COVID-19 vaccines. For people with a history of hypersensitivity or anaphylaxis, we observe those individuals for 30 minutes after getting vaccinated. But um, the anaphylaxis that very rarely has occurred to the COVID-19 vaccines is is very limited and um, is to the um, PEG, the polyethylene glycol, present in both the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine. 
So it's important to probe patients for allergy to PEG or to sorbitol for the Janssen vaccine. But again, allergies to these other types of things um, are not a contraindication to vaccination. People are also worried that the COVID-19 vaccines can cause severe side effects. It's very important to counsel people about the potential for side effects and to normalize them and to explain that they aren't dangerous. It's unpredictable. Some people have no reaction to the vaccine, but others do, and it can be described as having symptoms are a normal process of building immunity. The most common reaction reported is soreness at the injection site, which is common to all vaccines that are given intramuscularly. The next most common are fatigue, headache, muscle aches, and joint pain, and fever is less common. Reactions are more common with the second dose and more common in younger individuals. For most people, these side effects last no more than a day or two and can be relieved by either Tylenol or non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, NSAIDs. However, we do not suggest that people pre-medicate before receiving the vaccine um, if they're worried about getting side effects because CDC says that theoretically the immune response could be blunted. As with any medication, any vaccination, hypersensitivity, allergic reactions, and anaphylaxis can occur, but these are fortunately very rare with the COVID-19 vaccine. Thus far, it looks like there are about five cases per 1 million doses of the Pfizer vaccine and 2.8 cases per 1 million doses of the Moderna vaccine. Data for Janssen are still emerging. Other worries are that the COVID-19 vaccines may cause infertility or miscarriages. There are no data to suggest this. In fact, there is a vaccine registry for pregnant women that is ongoing with over 30,000 women that has not shown any adverse outcomes thus far, and that continues to be monitored. It is important actually to counsel pregnant women to consider receiving the COVID-19 vaccine because pregnant women are actually at risk of increased severe illness from COVID-19. Both the CDC and ACOG, which is the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, as well as the WHO have recommended that pregnant women be approached about potentially getting vaccinated because of their risk of increased severe illness from COVID-19 vaccine. Similarly, women who are breastfeeding can get vaccinated and people who are planning to have a family during their family planning phase prior to getting pregnant, it is a great opportunity to get them vaccinated because they won't have to worry about their concerns about getting vaccinated during pregnancy. Another common concern is that the COVID-19 vaccines can change someone's DNA and lead to long-term side effects. That is also not true. The messenger RNA vaccines never even enter the nucleus of host cells and the adenovirus DNA vaccine do not interact with host DNA. Another concern is that I already had COVID-19, so I don't need to be vaccinated. We don't know how long immunity persists after having had COVID-19. And there's also some literature that suggests that the level of immunity induced by the vaccine may actually be higher than that induced by COVID-19 vaccine. 
So we do recommend that people who have had COVID-19 still get vaccinated. Another concern is that people will only need one dose of the mRNA COVID-19 vaccine. That is not true. We know that this, the um, efficacy that I told you about earlier, greater than 95%, um, is really linked to getting two doses. An analogy I like to use is the following. Think of the first dose as going to kindergarten. It's like having our immune system learn the alphabet and learn how to begin to read. Whereas the second dose is like graduating high school, whereby our immune system has been fully boosted. So it's crucial to receive both doses. And then finally, after getting the COVID-19 vaccine, I won't have to wear a mask or practice social distancing. And I know we're all healthcare providers on this call and we are still required to wear our masks and um, when around others to continue to wear our full PPE perform a frequent hand hygiene and practice social distancing. Um, there is a loosening, of course, of some of these restrictions in um, some smaller social settings. And I know we're all eager for the day when we can return to what I referred to as the before times before the pandemic. So the causes of vaccine hesitancy truly vary, fear of side effects and safety concerns. Um, but I think it's important to acknowledge personal or group experiences of racism, mistreatment, abuse, including terrible things that occurred in healthcare, particularly to um, the African-American black population. Um, the Tuskegee experiment um, where men with syphilis were left untreated is a horrifying example um, that people um, resonate with this to this day. So it's very important when counseling people to, to have a frank conversation if this is one of their concerns. There's been enormous politicization of vaccines and COVID and disinformation that has been magnified by social media. So again, when counseling people, it's important to ask them why they don't wanna get the vaccine so that you can give them accurate facts. Anti-vaccine advocacy, um, we were plagued by that, of course, prior to COVID and, and something that we're coping with now. Um, and then suspicion that individuals have about in the motivation of pharmaceutical industry and a history of abuses. And then true mistrust of government authorities, science and the healthcare industry. But frankly, um, what everyone has said over and over again is that information coming directly from their physicians and other caregivers is their most trusted source of information. So when we teach ourselves and others to, perform, to combat hesitancy, um, it's important to use this concept of motivational interviewing. So this is very patient-centered. Um, you wanna talk to the individual about what their concerns are, be empathetic and non-judgmental, support them, but it is again important to get individuals to express their own reasons so that you can present them with facts. So if they tell you that they heard something from their cousin, you can actually speak to them about what your own personal experience has been, what the experience that you've had with your other patients has been, what you've learned about the vaccine and, and counteract um, some of their concerns. So my last several slides are what are we doing um, nationwide to um, continue to monitor um, safety 
for um, the COVID-19 vaccines. So hopefully you're familiar with a lot of these. The first is um, the VAERS system, the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System. This was established in the 1990s, whereby um, healthcare providers and parents and patients can submit electronically or by telephone something that occurred to them after getting vaccinated. This is not necessarily causal. Um, this could be, for example, somebody had appendicitis. Um, this could be that somebody got hospitalized for a kidney stone, um, but also um, it captures things like hospitalization with COVID-19 following vaccination. So this is an opportunity for experts to look at all of these reports and put them against the background rates and see if there are any emerging safety signals. The best example of the VAERS um, system working beautifully well was the initial rotavirus vaccine. So um, as you now know, it was linked to intussusception, which there was no safety signal because of its rarity during the vaccine trials, but in the post-licensure um, rotavirus vaccine VAERS report, intussusception arose and was far above baseline rates. And of course, you know the story, the vaccine was removed from the market and a new vaccine is in place that is not associated with intussusception. So an excellent um, way to do post-marketing surveillance of safety. So again, I'll emphasize it may not be causal, but we want people to report. The next system is the CISA system, the Clinical Vaccine Safety Assessment Evaluation System, and they work very closely with VAERS, um, reviewing these reports that come in for potential causality. Um, hopefully, those of you that have been vaccinated enrolled in the VSAFE after vaccination health checker. Um, this system is the first time we've utilized it for COVID. And so people voluntarily enroll and we get text messages asking us how we're doing. And then anybody that reports that they're pregnant gets a follow-up phone call. And thus far, there are over 30,000 women who are pregnant in the, in the VSAFE system so that we'll be able to do um, safety monitoring for them and for their children once they're born. Um, and then finally, um, the Vaccine Safety Data Link, VSD, has enrolled um, healthcare, Genesis Healthcare Nursing Homes. This is the largest nursing home provider in the United States to do post-vaccination monitoring. Thus far, the signal there looks like that vaccinated individuals have a lower risk of mortality, um, which is wonderful news, but needs further study and then um, also databases through HMOs that look at vaccinated individuals and um, things like rates of Bell's palsy, Guillain-Barre, for example, in the background, um, as well as vaccinated individuals and unvaccinated individuals within this um, HMOs system. Then there have been several research studies that are being conducted um, by the CDC in what is termed vaccine effectiveness research in the real world setting. These include how well the vaccines are performing in specific subpopulations such as immunocompromised hosts and um, people with other comorbidities or who may have been underrepresented in the clinical trials such as those individuals with autoimmune disease. The um, reduction of the vaccines to reduce infection in um, vaccine recipients as well as um, infection without symptoms, as I described before. 
protection against milder COVID-19 illness, as well as more serious outcomes, including hospitalization. So these are active surveillance systems that are ongoing, preventing the spread of illness. Um, again, this question about whether or not vaccinated people can spread disease even when asymptomatic. Long-term protection. So the clinical trials are studying protection up to 24 months, um, and then longer term are being studied in other populations as well. Obviously protection against the variants, and then um, protection against COVID when people only were able to get a single dose or when the second dose was delayed. Um, if these um, disruptions in dosing regimens do occur, um, which frankly do occur in the real world. And then um, other ongoing CDC studies are being conducted in healthcare workers, emergency respondents, essential workers, asymptomatic and symptomatic reinfection, adults who are 65 plus, hospitalized and with severe disease after vaccination, healthcare workers and first responders, both symptomatic and asymptomatic infection, and then whether or not healthcare workers and first responders can transmit um, SARS-CoV-2 after vaccination to their um, family members. So in summary, um, reactions to vaccines thus far in the real world setting after emergency use authorization mirror those that have been noted in trials. Severe hypersensitivity and anaphylaxis is fortunately rare. Thus far, there have been no safety signal for serious adverse events reported to VAERS. And thus far, there have been no unexpected adverse outcomes for vaccinated pregnant women or their newborns. Thank you for tuning in. That does conclude part two of the Vaccine and Vaccine Hesitancy webinar by Dr. Saman. As a quick reminder, you can read the newsletter or listen to the podcast of Dr. Saman's E-Cystic Fibrosis Review, COVID-19 Special Edition, by clicking on the link in the resource list window on ON24 or going to eCysticFibrosisReview.org. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red Claim Credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit COVID19.DKBMed.com. Any questions or issues, feel free to email us at the address listed. To submit questions, please send them to QA at DKBMed.com. That's Q as in question, A as in answer, at dkbmed.com. Again, thanks for joining us, and thank you for your dedication to your patients with COVID-19.